We're going to start off in 1 Peter chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 9. Now, 1 Peter, if you don't know where that is, it's right before 2 Peter, and that's all the help I can give you tonight. And it says, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1, And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility As you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And so as we look at this tonight, we really want to dive in because I don't know if you're like me, but there are times where I have a hard time living that out. Given my worries Given my life, giving everything over to God, I have a hard time doing with that. But you see, here's what worry is. The definition is dwelling on a problem without a solution. I do that all the time. I worry about stuff without thinking ahead, what's the solution to this? Because I can give you problem after problem. And even just recently, I was reading an article about students, your age, junior high and high school students, and it listed the things that teenagers worry about today and see if you can relate to any of this stuff. It says they worry about grades, fitting in, body image, overscheduling, family conflicts, friendships, romantic relationships, and the future. Can anybody relate to that tonight? Listen, I am not a student. I'm not a junior high or high school student, but almost every single thing that I read off I can relate to. Even grades, and you're like, you are 41 years old, but I'm going back uh, to school right now, and my last class, I tried really, really hard, and somebody came up to me today, and they're like, Michael, I bombed my final. Ditto. I was doing this class, and it was all about other religions and cults, and can I tell you, I did terrible at it. I ended up with a B in the class, and I was really, really upset with myself. Thank you. I know. You're like, you're such a nerd. You're such a nerd. My my GPA is now a 3.9. It's very disappointing. Thank you. Thank you. I feel the love. I feel the love. Now, jumping ahead to Luke. You you guys hate me. Luke chapter 12. I love this because this is something that I come back to all the time. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22 through 26. It says, then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over big things? You see, my grandpa, when I would go over there, he was transfixed. He had one of those sliding glass doors that looked out into his backyard. And there were so many times where he would sit in his recliner and I would walk there and he would just be looking out. Sometimes he didn't even hear me walking in because he was looking out at this backyard where birds would come. And my grandpa, I'll never forget this because I always have this image of my grandpa. He had this big, thick book 
with every species of bird you would ever even imagine. And so when he would finally notice I was there, he would sit back like a grandpa would do, and he goes, you know what that bird is out there? No, I don't. That's an orange-crested cockatiel. I never needed to know that whatsoever. But every time I was there, he could tell me exactly, and then he'd show me pictures, and he would give me the scientific name for them, and what they eat, and when they come, and what are the months that they're here for, and all that kind of stuff, and I didn't have the heart to tell him. I didn't even give a crap. But anyway, every time I thought about that, he would sit there for about 30, 60, 90 seconds to give me the rundown of the latest bird that he saw in his backyard. But every single time, as he was done with that, he would close up the book, he'd put it on the shelf next to him. And he would say, so how are you doing? You know, no matter if I was five years old, 15 years old, 25 years old, he always cared about me. And every time I read this verse, I always think about my grandpa because in it, it says, if he cares about the birds, certainly he cares about us. You see, in that moment, I felt the love of my grandpa. And every time I read that passage, I can't help but think about him because Just like my grandpa loved me, man, can I tell you, my God loves me even more. Because it goes on to say not to worry about everyday life. That's a command from God. So you see, when you worry, you're actually disobeying God. You're going against what he tells you to do. You see, all the way back in the Old Testament, if you go back to Exodus, we're jumping around a lot today, but I love Exodus because It talks all about this guy named Moses. And if you've grown up in church or you've gone to Bible school or you've gone to Sunday school, you've probably read about Exodus. You probably read about Moses. And in Exodus chapter 17, it says, at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin. Can I tell you, if you live in a place called sin, you probably want to move out of there and move from place to place. Eventually, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. What should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink it. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. You see, this was a passage I had forgotten all about until probably my second semester of college. And you see, in my second semester of college, um, many of you know, I didn't come from this wealthy family. You know, my mom, I said to somebody just the other day, she worked three part-time jobs just to kind of provide for my brother and I. And I was in my second semester just getting ready to start. And I had absolutely no money whatsoever for even books. I I paid my tuition, but it didn't leave anything left over. And I was working and working. I've worked since I was 15 years old. And in that time, I remember I had read this passage because I was so overwhelmed. How am I going to pay for stuff? And as I thought about that, I read this passage where it said, Moses struck the rock and the water came forth. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go around and just hit rocks everywhere I go. But, you know, instead of that, I started to pray. 
And every single night, I just kept praying and it feels like, man, God didn't show up. But you know what happened about four days later? There's a lady in our church at the time and she was a, a great lady. She took care of me when I was really little. And just out of the blue on one Sunday, she came up to me and she said, hey, I've been thinking about you. And I go, oh, thank you so much. And she goes, God's really put you on my heart for some reason. And, and she goes, I just wanna bless you with this. And this sounds like I'm making it up. But she gave me this envelope and I'm smart enough not to open up an envelope in front of people. Have you ever done, like my kids do it all the time. Like you give them something and they open up and they're like, $20. Don't do it in front of the people. Go in the bathroom and open it up in the stall and see how much you get paid. But I remember I got home and I opened up this envelope that she had said, and it was almost down to the dollar the amount of money that I needed for those books. Over $300 at the time, almost down to the exact same cent. You see, in that moment, I would never forget God's faithfulness. You see, there's so many times in my life where I get overwhelmed by stuff or things aren't happening or how am I ever gonna get out of this? And I always remember this passage. You see, because there is a place in the Bible that I kept reading over and over and I still come to this all the time. Just last week, in my quiet time, I came across 2 Timothy 1.7, if you wanna write that down. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You see, if you want a life full of worry, obsess about things you can't change. If you wanna live a life full of being in fear about everything, just obsess on it over and over again, but can I tell you, worry won't change anything. And some of you do not need to hear, stop worrying. God's got it. And I know that's easy for somebody up here to say, but can I tell you, I've seen that time and time and time again in my life in those moments where I feel overwhelmed and I don't know what my future is gonna look like. I don't know how God's ever gonna do this. I rest in the fact that God has provided for me, provided for my family over and over again. But you see, if you keep looking in that same passage in Exodus 17, it continues to go on talking about Moses. It says, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. You see, in those times, Moses was getting very old by this time. And Aaron and Hur came across, they found a spot for him to sit on, and they legit held up his hands in victory. You see, who are those people in your life that are holding up your arms when they get tired? Who are those people that are fighting alongside you? Who are those people that when you're in the midst of a battle that come alongside you, who are those people when you're overwhelmed that you can call them up? You see, I often talk to those people closest to me about my drawbridge friends, and you've heard that before. But it's amazing. I have people in my life that I can go to in my most overwhelmed times of my life. And it's funny because God will often have them 
get a hold of me at just the right moment. I don't know if you've ever had that where somebody comes and they speak life over you or they share something with you at just the right moment. You see, last Thursday, I was having one of those days, completely unsure of what was happening, overwhelmed by everything. And my phone started vibrating when I was outside and I looked at it and it was one of my best friends. And we spent about 45 minutes on the phone and just shared where, where I was right now. And he shared where he was. You need those people in your life that come alongside you when you're overwhelmed. Don't try to do this alone. I think Rach said that two weeks ago. We want Underground to be that community, that community of leaders, that community of other students that help you, that you can call on. That's why we do small groups. And tonight, we're going to give you time for our last small group of the year to just share with one another, to pray with one another before we move on into the summer. But you see, I don't know about you, but sometimes I like to try to take control. It's really hard for me to even let somebody else drive because I like to be in control. I like to get there. I like to know where we're going. Because you see, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been on an airplane, But sometimes on an airplane, it gets a little bit bumpy. I'm not scared of flying, but in those moments, I'm like crying out to Jesus when it feels like I'm crashing to the ground. Like I've seen six seasons of loss. I know how this ends. But in those moments when there's turbulence, when things are going up and down, can I tell you, I don't hop out of my seat and run to the pilot and try to take control. That's the worst thing for me to do. I can barely drive home some nights, let alone fly a plane. But how many of us try to do that? How many of us try to do that when things aren't going quite the way we want, our life's a little bit in turmoil, we try to do it on our own. We try to take control instead of handing it over to God and saying, God, you get me there. I trust you. I'm handing it over. We try to take control and get ourselves. And can I tell you, every time I do that, I make huge mistakes because my strength is nothing compared to the strength that we get from God. When we give our lives over to him, you see, it's easy to quit. We've all been there. We've all wanted to throw the towel in. You see, there's a young man in here, and uh, I've watched him play basketball many times. He's an amazing basketball player, actually. He's very young, still learning. But he was on a basketball team this last year. And I was there, and I was cheering, and I okay, I'm giving it away. I'm like that dad that, like, will embarrass you. So I'll be like, go, Liam! Like, I'm that guy, and he's like, please don't ever do that to me ever again. But it came down. There was, like, 2.3 seconds left in the game. And they're like, get the ball to Liam. Get the ball to Liam. I'm totally outing you right now. And they got the ball to Liam. This was, like, perfect. I was watching, this kid has like a three-point shot. They got the ball to Liam. They're down by two. Liam sinks the three. If it goes in, they win the game. I was there, I had my phone out, I was ready to post that to Instagram. He gets the ball. He shoots it, bank, totally missed it. And can I tell you what my son did? He has this Steph Curry mouth guard. He took that thing out, he walked to the sidelines, and he threw that mouth guard as far as it would go, like hit another kid in the eye. But we had a conversation later. He's a little bit like his dad. It takes him a while to calm down. So about 17 hours later, we had a conversation. 
And I said, dude, it doesn't matter if you're not perfect. It doesn't matter if you don't make it. You stuck with it. You didn't quit. You kept trying, even in the midst of those things. And that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to be 12 years old and to try to make that shot. But you did it. You stuck to it. You see, every major religion has a list. See, the one thing I remember from this world religions class I took, every other religion outside of Christianity has a list of things that you need to do to get to the afterlife. You see, but Christianity isn't a do, it's a done. You see, everything was done when Jesus went to the cross. You can rest in the fact that it's already been done for you. There's not a list that you have to do to earn your way to heaven. It's simply surrendering your life to Jesus. Saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm getting my life right with you so I can walk into eternity with you one day. And see, the other night, I told you, I woke up in a panic. These last couple weeks, I, I, I wish I could say that I got it all together, but I woke up in the middle of the night, and I couldn't sleep, and I told Clay this tonight. I kept, you know you're up really late in the middle of the night when you go to Instagram, and it doesn't, like, refresh with new pictures. It's, like, the same picture, and it was Clay's picture. It said, like, Maddie in Seattle, like, over and over. I'm like, I've already liked that, like, six times now. But I just kept seeing it over and over because I couldn't sleep. And so it takes me a while. I wish I could say I'm perfect. And I immediately got on my knees and, like, I'm going to pray to Jesus because I have all this panic going on in my life. I totally didn't do that. I played, like, a game. I pulled up a movie on an iPad. And finally, I was just like, man, I need to just come and have time with Jesus. And so I went downstairs and I pulled up my Bible. And I went to John 14, 1. And again, it was just the verse I needed to hear in that moment. John 14, 1 says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. You see, trust is the remedy for your trouble. And I've said this before, but trusting in God is less about the knowing and more about the going. More about stepping in and believing that God's got you, having faith that he will see you through. You see, when you find yourself in this season where you're just riddled with anxiety, here's my encouragement to you. Exchange worry for worship. Because you see, when you exchange worry for worship, it takes you out of control and it puts the control on God. You see, when you exchange something, I don't know about you, but at Christmas, especially growing up, not so much now, I got some really, like, jank Christmas presents. Raise your hand if you've ever gotten, like, a really terrible Christmas present. Yeah, we've, we've all been there. One year, my grandma um, got me a belt. And I don't really, back then, I'd never wore belts. I still don't really. But it was, like, a belt with jingle bells on it. Like, I don't know what vibe I was giving off, but I would have never worn that because you would just, like, jingle everywhere you went. And I remember going to the store, and she told me where she got Like, I slyly asked it, and I'm like, this is a stupid gift. Where can I return this? I was like, what a beautiful gift. I'd love to buy that for all of my friends. Where did you get it? And she told me Bergner's, and I took it back to Bergner's, like, the day after Christmas. And I tried to exchange it, and even they wouldn't take it back. They're like, no, we don't want that back. But so many times, that's what we need to do. Because worship, here's what it means. It's a verb, an action word, something that we do. It means to surrender. You see, you were created to worship God. Worship is our response to what we value most. Because, see, many of us, we don't just worship God. There's lots of other things. Look at where you spend the most time. Look at where you spend the most money, the most energy, the most effort. You see, those things that we value the most is what we spend the most time with. And there's so many times... 
that I've worshiped things other than God. I put my time, my effort, my money towards things that were not of God. You see, back in the Bible, there was two guys named Paul and Silas, and I love this story. I come back to it all the time. I read this all the time, but Paul and Silas ran into this slave girl, and she made money telling the future. And she just kind of followed Paul and Silas wherever they went. And one day, Paul came upon this girl and was so sick of her following him wherever that he cast out this demon that was inside her. And the men who owned this slave became so angry because they were making a lot of money off this girl. She was telling the future. And so Paul and Silas got thrown into prison. And in Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 28, it tells what it was like in their prison. It says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Their feet. I haven't graduated yet. Their feet. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see a prison door wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew a sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. You see, Paul and Silas, in the midst of one of their worst moments, they were still worshiping God. Tell you, that wouldn't be my first response. If I'm in prison, the last thing I'm thinking about is throwing up my hands and saying, thank you, God, for putting me in this place. I'm still going to worship you. I'm still going to surrender my life to you. But that's what they did. And the greatest thing about it is that they prayed just to get out of there, but God showed up with this earthquake. And some of you need to hear, God will always do more than you ever expect or more than you would ever even ask for. You see, I love the reminder in this story because when the night is at its darkest, that's when our worship should be at its loudest. When our life looks the bleakest, it looks like no hope, that's the moment that we get on our knees and just throw up our hands and say, God, I'm giving my life to you. I'm still worshiping you. Whether I'm on these highs of highs or the lowest of lows, I still believe in you. I still know that you have a plan and a purpose for my life. You see, when you worship and surrender everything you have to God, the chains, just like in the story, start to fall off. You see, I remember when each of my kids were little, I'd come in the door after school, and they would throw up their hands. Every time that they would see me, they would throw up their hands, and it was, Dad, I want you. Dad, come with me. Come see me. Come spend time with me. i never forget that. Because that's such the posture that we need to take with God, where we throw up our hands and God, whatever else is going on in my life, I want to spend time with you. I'm giving my life to you. I love you. You see, just like Moses back in Exodus, you're not alone. You have an Aaron in your life, and his name's Jesus. He's there to hold up your hands when they get tired, to hold up your arms when you don't have any other strength left. When you call out to him, he shows up. You see, I don't know my future, but I know who has control of my future. See, all these things could happen in my life. But even then, I'm going to have faith in God. I don't know what tomorrow holds. Because, you see, I have the luxury of being much older. I say to Josh and Nat all the time, as we're trying to help them navigate through life, and can I tell you, 
Those two are amazing leaders. Today, we spent a ton of time together. On Wednesdays, Wednesdays we spend more time together than we probably ever want to, from like 8.30 in the morning, and then we're out of here at like 9, 9.30. And they listen to me sometimes, most of the time. And I say to them all the time, I have the luxury of being twice as old as you guys. So I'm not harping on you. I'm not lecturing you. I just want to help you navigate because I've seen this. I've been there. I've lived this out before. See, my question is, just like in this passage, what's on your shoulders that should be on God's shoulders? What are the things that you need to take off? What are the burdens that you can hand over to God? The stuff that's weighing you down, the stuff that gets you hunched over, See, my prayer for you is that you walk out of here tonight walking a little bit straighter. That you've handed that stuff that's been weighing you down this week, the last month, the last year, maybe your whole lifetime. The burdens that have been weighing you down, start to hand them over to God. You see, I love the message version of the Bible. If you're ever looking for a version to read, I, I love it because it makes it so clear for even an idiot like me to understand. Because in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says, so here's what I want you to do. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. See, this, this weekend, um, I went and saw an amazing performance of Mary Poppins Jr., the highlight of my weekend. Um, if, if you know Grace and you know Maggie Jo, they're, they're two of our junior high students, and, and they were in this production at PCS, and, and we went, and it, it was really good. It was really, like, they did this supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and they had these, like, amazing, like, moves with it that I said to them later, you could pay me, like, $30,000, and in 30 years, I would still never learn, like, that stuff. That's, like, not my thing. And so as I sat there, our our children's pastor, Miranda, was there, and I said to Rachel, go, I don't mean to brag, but um, I starred in a play on that exact same stage, and they looked at me and, like, we are not impressed (laughs) at all. Like, that ain't cool. But as I sat there and I watched it, I remember the last time I was in there was as a student. And my mind started to go back thinking of what my life was like all those many years ago. You see, I think I was in a freshman or sophomore when I was in an amazing production called Squeaky Shoes. Go see it on Broadway this fall. And as I thought about it, I I could instantly remember who I was, who my friends were, but more importantly, what I was going through in that stage of my life. I instantly could remember what a hurt, broken kid, and you know, any of us right now, we're just trying to figure out who we are, and we're trying to figure out friendships, and we're trying to figure out all that stuff that I listed to you before. And I wish I could say that I was a great follower of Jesus back then, but I wasn't. And if I'm honest, there were sometimes I would only go to the Word of God just as a last resort. 
But in that time of my life, when I was really overwhelmed with life and trying to figure out what God had for me, I actually came to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 that we read earlier. It says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. You see, back at that time, I didn't feel like anybody cared about me. My parents, but parents have to love you. At least that's what I thought in my mind. When you see those friendships, they weren't close. And in there, I instantly remember being in there and saying, God, I need you because this is me. You talk about my worries. I'm riddled with anxiety. I'm 13, 14 years old, and I don't even want to get up the next day because I don't know what I'm walking into. And the whole idea of casting your cares. See, because when it means to cast, it means to hurl, to fling, to get as far away as you can go. You see, can I tell you tonight, whatever you don't cast, you'll carry. You'll carry that with you for the rest of your life if you don't start giving that stuff up to God. Last week, uh, Pastor John, who's our senior pastor here, he came to my office and he said, I have something to ask you to do. And he asked me to do a a funeral for a young man um, that had kind of been at our church for a little while. He'd been to underground a couple times. And he goes, I can't do it. The family's asking for somebody. And they said, if you can't do, if I can't do it, they want you to. And I'll tell you, I often share with you how I feel very unqualified to do this role that I'm doing right now. I felt even exponentially more unqualified to do a funeral. And this young man was 17 years old, died tragically in a dirt bike accident a week ago Sunday. And I'll tell you, the last week, it just wrecked me. Because I remember when I was 17 years old. I have a daughter who's about to turn 14 years old. And I was just reminded of the frailty of life. How none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You see, because every tragedy, every death, every funeral is an attempt by God to get our attention to wake us up. And this last week has served as a reminder to me that, man, tomorrow is not promised. Each of our lives are fleeting. Our days are numbered. And so I stood in this exact same spot yesterday with a coffin in front of me and I tried to come up with the words to share with this family and this group of friends and classmates that had lost somebody so tragically, so unexpectedly. And I'll tell you, it was not my words, it was God's. I sat in the back and I watched a family come up here and say their last goodbyes to their son, to their brother, And I couldn't help but think when I was in school and we had tests and they were timed. And I was a bad test taker back then even. 
And there were so many times that the teacher would say, time's up. And my test wasn't done. It wasn't over yet. I wasn't ready. You see, this last week has reminded me that we all have to be ready. None of us are guaranteed to come back next week. None of us are guaranteed to be back here together on Sunday. You see, I don't want to walk into heaven one day and not see you there. You see, I want to take a snapshot today. And each and every one of you, I want to see there one day. But I know in a room this size, in a group this size, there's some of us that have either wandered away from Jesus or some of us have heard this over and over again. And if you're somebody sitting there right now saying, Michael, I've heard this over and over and over again. I come to church all the time. Congratulations. But if there's even one person here tonight that hasn't given their life to Jesus, it's worth my time and it's worth your time. You see, I say all the time, people will meet with me and they'll say, Michael, God could never love me if you knew what I've done, if you knew where I've been, if you knew what my past was littered with. And I say every time, listen, if you only knew my story, I'm the last person that should be in a church on a Wednesday night sharing about the love of Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, my life and the way that I've lived my life easily should have been destined for hell. Easily should have been written off. But there was a God that came 2,000 years ago that he went to the cross for a miserable, messed up, gross person like myself. You see, in John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, it says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. You see, what I share with that family if you know Jesus, if you make him the center and the Lord of your life, when you die, it's sad for all of us back here. But that loved one is in heaven. And can I tell you, they don't want to come back. They're at home with Jesus. As we were at the graveside yesterday, we did one last prayer, and I saw family going up to the coffin, saying their last goodbyes. And a lady walked up to me, an older lady. I didn't recognize her, and she goes, do you know who I am? And I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, I don't. And she said her name, and instantly when she said her name, I recognized her. She was my Sunday school teacher back when I was four, five, six years old. And you see, my life, I wish I could say, has always been a cakewalk, but I'll tell you, there's been a lot of scars, a lot of hard times along the way. And immediately I thought back 
to what she must have had to put up with when I was four, five, six years old. I was a hurting kid even back then, a messed up kid. And she said to me, as soon as you got up there today, I instantly knew who you were. And she goes, tears started to form in my eyes to see what God has done in your life. And she went on to say, you know, I just didn't pray for you when you were that little kid. She goes, God has kept you and a few others close to my heart all these years later. She goes, I've never understood why. But she goes, when I saw you up there, I was so proud of what God has done in your life. You see, because God isn't looking for your perfection. Can I tell you right now? He's looking for your heart. He's not looking for you to have it all together. And you see, I would love one day to look back to see you 10, 20 years from now and all that time that I prayed for you. You see, I don't just pray for you on a Wednesday before we come into this. Every single morning in my quiet time, I pray for each and every one of you. And some of you, we know each other very well. I mean, like very well. And others of you are just getting to know me and you're like, I came for that worship girl chick and I got stuck with you tonight, I'm sorry. but I can't wait to see the story that God continues to write for your life because one of the stories that I heard about this young man named Damien is they kept saying about how resilient he was. That he would get on a bike or he would get on a skateboard and he would often fall down, get banged up, get skinned knees, but they said he always got right back up and tried it again. You see, there's some of you, your life is like that. You keep falling down over and over and you mess up again and again so much that you get to a point where you say, this is just it. But can I tell you, when you look at what God says in the Bible, he says no matter how many times you fall down, he wants to pick you back up He wants to dust you back off and he wants to get you on the path that he has for your life if you'll just let him. And so tonight as we wrap up, I wanna give you that opportunity. And maybe some of you need to do it for the first time or some of you are right now and thinking, man, I need to get my life right with Jesus because I'm not assured of tomorrow. And if I'm being completely honest with you, I don't know where I would end up. And so will you bow your heads with me? And we're just gonna pray. And every single person in this room, whether you've known Jesus a long time, whether you're just meeting with him tonight, we're all gonna pray this together. And if this is you for the first time, As you say this out loud, let it go deep into your heart because I guarantee you God's gonna hear you. So repeat after me, dear God, I thank you for coming to this earth and dying on the cross for my sins. 
I invite you to come into my life. Take away my past and walk with me into the future. I put my life completely in your hands. I thank you, God, for loving me in spite of me. And I ask for you to walk into eternity alongside of me. And in your name, amen.